Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea, and I'm joined today by Adrian Martini. Hello, Adrian. Hello, Sarah. How is Portland today? Oh, it's raining cold like it has been far too much of this winter. (laughs) (laughs) So it is usually by this time. So we're recording this on, what is today? The The February 8th. 8th, Okay, good. Thank you for queuing me up. We're recording this a week before it airs. But um, typically by this time, it's starting to feel like a little bit of spring in Portland. And no, no, it feels like Portland winter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, so this morning I turned things a little bit on their head. I was not running with Molly because she has the day off. She doesn't work on Wednesdays. And um, and so I made my kids lunch before I went running huh. so that so that then I could, you know, then I knew, okay, my final two miles will be, it'll be starting to be daylight and maybe the rain will lessen a little and it did. So I was grateful. For right. Being able I woke to up this morning and it was uh, 35 degrees and spitting rain. And I said, you know, maybe I'll run in the afternoon. So, <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So it was a little bit more than spitting and it was 37 here. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So that's messed up because you're yeah. in, you're in upstate New York and I am in the yes. temperate zone of the Pacific Northwest. Well, yeah. there's a front yeah. coming in. So it should be by tomorrow at this time, it'll be about 16. So yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, so I've been staying inside and watching TV. That's what I've been doing. <laughs> um, so, and I'm late to the party, but I finally started watching The Crown on Netflix. I um, loved it. Oh my god. I love it too. Yes. And then, you know, I'd read online, people are like, oh, it's kind of slow. It is and, a little and, slow in the beginning and then it picks up. But... Oh, but gosh, I just was taken in from the from the get go. Mm. And um, particularly because I mean, you know, I would sometimes like minimize Netflix and, you know, pause it or whatever, and then Google it. And I mean, they're right. very true to what actually yes. happened. Um, and the thing that you should do, or I recommend this uh-huh. to everyone is there's a website called go fug yourself, F-U-G. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and they, there are two women who write, they've both written, you know, they're really good writers. But one of them is British, one of them grew up in L.A., and they do recaps of each episode that go into the history Ooh. and into the costumes and oh. into the jewelry, and it's really... Oh, I want that as a podcast. Can't they do, like, an oh. audio version of that? Well... Oh my gosh. Maybe wow. you should write them and... <laughs> right. <laughs> right, because, um, because, like, the scene... Um, so, right now... Uh, um, Elizabeth is on her, she and Philip are on that, what is it, 83 right. days? No, the world tour that it was, I forget, oh, it's 23 weeks. That's how yes. long it is. Because yes. I was like, wait a minute, that's almost half a year. Yes. And when she throws the tennis racket of him to right. get in a fight in South Africa, and I looked it right. up or in Australia. Yeah. 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 Oh, it happened. Oh, sure. You yeah. know, okay, so she threw a shoe and then a tennis racket, but pretty close. Um mm-hmm. So yeah, so and and I looked up, you know, uh, early pictures of uh, Prince Philip, and right. um, uh, you know, oh, and that Prince Philip uh, sleeps naked. Uh, yes. Love that detail because and they I have the. If... Go ahead. I was about to say, I think if we could have more shots of Matt Smith's bare bottom, I'd be happy with that too. Oh, I could go for a whole episode of just that because he is. He... <laughs> oh my gosh, he is so buff. Yeah, and what an ass oh my god let's yes. just say it if you if you lean towards the tall thin but still buff uh gentleman uh-huh. as i do i find this to be catnip i just uh, yeah oh my gosh yeah and so um i find he's uh, a trifle his face is um he has slightly odd looking yeah 
Yeah, he does. But um, I mean, it's it's uh, I, f- I find him captivating, but it's uh, not not a look for everyone. But I'd say just mm, I'd say that body's pretty much for mm-hmm. a whole yeah. lot of people. Yeah. I used to mm-hmm. watch Doctor Who when he was. Oh, on, yeah. So, yep. yeah, mm-hmm. I am familiar yeah. with with Matt Smith. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, um, oh, yeah, I just and so many of the actors I know from other things like the um, guy who plays Peter Townsend. He yes. was on Coupling, mm-hmm. which I don't know if you ever oh, I did you watch. Yeah, I love that. I love yeah. the British version of that. It is so funny. Yes. And I just discovered that that's available on Amazon Prime. Oh. So I think I might have to dive back into rewatching Coupling. Right. And of course, John Lithgow is amazing. Oh, as Churchill. Yes. Oh, he's so good. And I want to know how they make him look so hunchback like you know maybe he went he could have gotten method you know Mm. and oh that'd be uncomfortable okay but you know their shots are short you know you don't have to hold it for (laughs) yeah but how many times do you have to redo it and so then he's you know know, he's not he's he's over 60 probably right so that's like tough to be like lean like that yeah so i i want to know does he have padding on and because he still looks very tall and i know john lithgow is very tall yeah and um so i just sort of i don't know uh, that's what i want to know yeah so oh but gosh oh when he gets teary-eyed oh, in the yeah. scene where she you know when he holds i hope i'm not too many spoilers but you know when he doesn't tell uh queen elizabeth that he had a stroke right. and when she kind of you know takes him to task on it mm-hmm. oh, and he tears up just ever so slightly oh i thought that was so Wait, brilliant t- have you you haven't seen the one with the painting yet i'm assuming no, I don't know. Oh, oh, have your Kleenex handy. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, and then, oh, and I love it when uh, you know the Queen Mum goes up to Scotland yes. and she goes over and visits the, <laughs> the the castle, and he's like, "Wait, you look familiar. Do, you know, you're an actress, right? Don't tell me. Don't tell yes. me." Maybe I've licked your the back of your head when I was putting a stamp on an envelope. Right, yes. Right. And uh, um, oh, and the you know, and the um, King George, the actor who played King George, he. Um, forgetting his name but he played lane price in mad men oh i haven't who, watched mad met, men yeah oh, 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 oh it is so good and john ham is the perfect specimen well, of man i uh the perfect package i watched the first three episodes and i was just kind of like i hate all of these people um oh yeah so yeah. i just never oh. really got into it oh and it talk about also you know things that period dramas that just capture every little detail. I mean, Mad Men, it is the phone and the pens that they use and, you know, the seat belts in the cars. I mean, every la- the Coca-Cola bottles, everything right. is just completely pitch perfect spot on. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I've been, uh, I've been watching the Santa Clarita diet with oh. uh, Drew Barrymore, oh, with, um, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, Timothy Oliphant. And- Who'd Molly love? I don't blame her. I'm with her on this game. <laughs> I am. Um, but it is so funny. I did not expect it to be nearly as funny as it is. And oh. the relationship between Drew Barrymore and uh, Tim Oliphant is... its <laughs> If you've been married for any length of time, you will recognize mm-hmm. it. And it is hysterically funny, but still very, very true. It, That's I really so interesting been because... So I saw it, um, you know, it's on the front page, like on the homepage of Netflix when you go to it. Right. And I, you know, this might be um, not the right thing to say, but I'm not a fan of Drew Barrymore. I think she I, really She's peaked. not my favorite. Yeah. She peaked in E.T. as far as I'm concerned. And um, and so then when I saw that she was paired with him and I thought, oh, no, 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 no. He would oh. never be married to her. And so I just wasn't wasn't doing it. And I told Molly that there. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. I think it looks really funny. 
and um, I'm Team Molly. I I'm with okay. Molly on this one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so um, because I have a lot of stuff on DVR, but I'm just not feeling like yeah. diving into it. I haven't like, been either. Um, yeah, like beware the what is it? not the Sandman the the Thin Man. Beware the th- it's a documentary what? about these. Oh, it just sounds. It's about these girls. Uh, Slender Man. Oh, yeah, beware the Slender Man. Like Thank you, Alex, like for being the... the young, hip millennial. Thank you. <laughs> the and, Nick and um... Nora Charles Thin Man? Why would you? That's perfectly delightful. Why would you beware that? Oh, my God. That's hilarious. I love the Thin Man movies. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> there, now, that's something I can curl up and watch on a rainy right? day. But but beware the Slender Man. It's um, a documentary about these girls, I think, in Michigan, maybe, or Wisconsin. Um, these 12-year-olds who you know this slender man is you know some fictional person on the internet and they thought they had to kill their friend to huh. i don't know gain garner favor curry favor with him and so molly started watching it she's like no don't watch it sarah don't <laughs> wa- don't watch it because <laughs> um, the girls in it are are um just like i don't know six or eight months older than my twins right. are so so i haven't i haven't hit delete yet but um and then um girls starts on see well, i will have yeah, yeah no, that's another not. one i can't quite wrap my arms oh, around oh talk about talk about characters you hate yeah oh, oh i hate it oh, it makes yeah. the people on med man look like you would want to like be on a long train ride with right. those people instead of the chicks from girls yeah no the women yeah. from girls i just i can't i can't although adam driver i could i See? he can be my driver um. <laughs> oh my poor alex is just like what is going on <laughs> Yeah, so, but I'm going to watch, I mean, it's the final season, right. I'm going to watch it, and, you right. know, I'll still, like, shout at the television, yeah. and, you know. See, so. it's kind of one of those, I've already made those poor decisions, so I don't, like, watching somebody else do it, I was like, yeah, I know how this ends. <laughs> oh, but I mean, like, her parents are so funny, I love um, Peter Scalaria, is that maybe oh, yeah. his name? That, yes. Yeah, who's from, from Bosom Buddies, who, yeah. um, oh, my gosh, wow, you go even more, you do an even deeper dive right. than I do. Yeah, I loved him on Bosom Buddies. I thought him and Tom Hanks oh, on Bosom perfect. Buddies were, yeah. oh, were so divine. Yep. Uh, so, um, but to, but I do have a literary side, not to, I don't want people to think I only watch, you know, moving pictures on the box. Um, I uh, read The Secret Life of Bees to lead a discussion group with sixth graders uh, in Daphne's. <laughs> language arts right? class and um another party i was late to i had never read that book by yeah uh, i haven't either S- sumon yeah. kid oh and so i've re- so sumon kid is the author and i had read her second book the mermaid chair when i was on vacation in mexico a couple of years ago like somebody had like left it at the resort or something and it was i thought it was terrible i thought it was absolute trash and so I was like, oh, all right, fine. I'll teach the secret life of bees. Right. So good. And it's, you know, set in the early 60s in the South. And, oh, it's just very, very moving. So, but here's the question. Okay, so I cried a lot while I read that. Right. And you were supposed to, um, so I read, um, well, led, supposed to lead four sessions of it, but um, one of them was snowed out. Right. So read, th- <laughs> led three sessions. So read like 150 pages and then the next 75 and then the next final 75. And I just cried and cried and cried. And so go in and I have four um, kids in the discussion group. And so I looked at them and I was like, so, you know, who, what part made you cry? Right. And they looked at me like, huh? Huh. And I'm like, 
well, you cried over that, right? <laughs> and I mean, like, we're talking, you know, that characters commit suicide. Right. And, you know, this girl was abused by her father, you know, like, had to kneel on grits, which was just the most, like, ugh, um, like, I could just feel the little dents in my kneecaps right. as I was reading it. And all, just one set, you know, then, you know, oh, getting thrown into jail, you know, the, the, um, African-American caregiver gets thrown into jail because she, you know, gets in altercation with these white guys and all this stuff. And it was just one sad thing after another. And they're like, no, I don't cry. I didn't, I didn't cry. Why'd you cry? And I'm like, because I have a heart. (laughs) I'm like, you guys cry while you read, when you read. Right. And they looked at me like I was saying, you know, like, I don't know, you ride a bicycle and read at the same time. Right. So, so tell me, Adrian, that I'm, that you cry too when you read a book. Yes. Um, I have been known to, I'm trying to think of what I've read lately though. That has really made me cry. Nothing's leaping. Well, like, did you read the, you read The Color Purple? Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah I was yeah, just I thinking mean, the I... last year or two, if there was anything. Oh, I mean, I cry. Yeah, I'm trying to think on a I'm novel. I'm not much of a crier to begin with. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, this is, oh, we could talk the whole show about this. <laughs> <laughs> I have a heart of stone. Uh, <laughs> so I'm good. <laughs> See, it's fine because I look very stern, yet yeah, and I you're not. just... Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I oh my gosh, and um, yeah, and I, I look like the s- you know the um, yeah friendly 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 warm you know oh come over to my house we'll bake cookies and um, I'm really remarkably antisocial. So, <laughs> so don't come to my house. Don't bake cookies. <laughs> or you can come to my house, but I'm going to be wearing my jammies. I hope that's. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, okay. Well, so maybe I just was thinking, I got talking about with the um, language arts teacher afterwards because she was, you know, she said she's read The Secret Life of Bees, I don't know, like right. 10 times or something over the course of her career. And and she was like, of course I cried. Right. And I have to say that this teacher is a mother runner. So props to her. So, um, and she was saying she thinks it's a generational thing. I don't that know young... about that because my oh. daughter is an easy crier. Oh, so... but over literature. Yeah. She's, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so huh. I, maybe it's Portland. I don't know. Because yeah, <laughs> okay, so so then to further humiliate myself, so um, I said, what was a scene in the book that really stuck stuck at you know moved you right. or you know what was some and so I so they you know would read these scenes and I'm like, huh. Okay, I don't see why that would have affected you, but okay. <laughs> and so then I read this scene, and it was the girl was looking for a sign from her deceased mother that she had loved her, and that then oh, it's too long of a scene to explain. But so it's just a paragraph, and she why she felt like she finally got this sign. Right. And so I read this out paragraph out loud to the kids. I couldn't even keep it together while reading to the class. <laughs> like, like, I made it to the end without any tears actually spilling out of my right. eyes. But then when they replied, I had to be like, yeah, I got to wipe something away. And they could, I could, they were just like looking at me like, this lady's crying. Right. <laughs> Teacher, is she okay? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. So. Anyway, all right. Well, that's okay. I'm gonna have to do a little bit further polling of you yeah. Know. You so might tweet, t- tweet, yeah, yeah. About, tweet us, tweet us, yeah. So at SBS on the run and at Martini Made, right? Right. Um, yeah. And yeah. At, how about at the Mother Runner too? Throw yes. all three of us in there and tell us if you cry over books and what was a recent novel, right? That and what was something over. that made you cry? And if you have a heart of stone like me, please let me know. So. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, I've I've read a graphic novel recently, and I cried over it. So no, um, they can yeah. be pretty. Yeah, no, I get that. What was yeah, it? Okay. Um, well, now I'm going to sound like I'm, I'm a sociopath or something because it was Green River Killer. Oh. <laughs> but no, the the touching part of it was it was written by um, a... His, his son or something. Son. Oh, look at you yeah. knowing your graphic novels. Yeah, yeah. he's an um, editor for Entertainment Weekly. Right. And his father was a, was a, the lead investigator yeah. on Green River Killer for 30 years. Yeah, I think it and started as a like a nonfiction book and then somebody did a graphic novel version of oh. it yeah oh because the illustrator lives here in portland oregon whoa, whoa. um so i was very pleased about that but um yeah i just found it, so the obviously the, the murders themselves that was very very sad right. but i just also found the relationship portrayed between the son and the dad was mm-hmm. was very touching and the uh, when the dad leaves and has that you know just cries and oh yeah so i let molly and i love true crime graphic novels so right. there you have it yeah, yeah. that's yeah. cool yeah. So, um, well, uh, go, hearkening back to the um, book that I originally mentioned, uh, <laughs> speaking of books about the secret life of something, our guest today is Sylvia Terra, PhD, the author of a fascinating new book called The Secret Life of Fat, The Science Behind the Body's Least Understood Organ and What It Means for You. Dr. Terra holds a PhD in biochemistry from the University of California at San Diego. This mother runner of two dove into the topic of fat research because she struggled with her weight since she was a preteen. Adrian and I will wait for it. Chew the fat with Dr. Terra after this quick break. Welcome to the show, Dr. Terra. Is it okay if we call you Sylvia? Yeah, sure. That's fine. Uh, before we jump into talking about your book, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your family and your fitness routine? You mentioned at least once in the book that you run. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I do run. I run for well, I, I, I interlope running and elliptical. So just depending hmm. on what I'm feeling like or what my muscles feel like that day. But my exercise routine it's fairly consistent it's probably around five times a week and I'll do about 40 minutes of something aerobic um, so either the elliptical machine or the treadmill and I'll try to put uh, it, put hit as part of that so you know a good four minutes where it's high intensity interval training um, 20 seconds of very intense exercise 10 seconds of lighter exercise for eight cycles and I just found that to be tremendous in burning off fat. Huh. And then also I do some strength-resistant training. Um, probably do that a little less than I should, maybe about two to three times a week, um, leg presses, uh, uh, arm pull, uh, curls, triceps, things like that. Right. So, you know, I, like any other you know, busy working mom, I don't have tons of time. So I have been on diets that call for two hours of exercise a day or an hour and a half, it gets around to being too much. So I find that about, you know, 45 minutes to an hour a day, uh, I I can do that, that I can fit in and I make sure I have equipment at home. So no matter what time it is, um, I got it there and I can do it. Right. Um, So reading the book, it seems like you have a personal reason for investigating fat research uh, and then collecting it all. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I always gained weight just so exceptionally easy. I watched people all around me eat whatever they wanted to, not really exercise much, and they could stay thin. And that just wasn't my body. Uh, I was softer. I always was, even as a child. I went on a number of different diets. I even hired personal trainers to work with, and I could lose a few pounds, but it was much harder for me to lose those few pounds than other people, even on the same diet. And it perplexed personal trainers, too. They could never quite understand it. And I wouldn't really start losing weight unless I, I cut my 
calories more than anyone thought I should. Right. So I always knew there's something different about me. I'm not the same. And uh, I remember I was about to go on yet another diet, and I thought, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. I have to understand my fat. Why is it not behaving the way people tell me it's supposed to behave? Why is it different? <laughs> it's <laughs> like so, having uh, really curly hair. You know, why is it not behaving? <laughs> yeah, people say it should be straight. You should be able to wash it and blow dry it, and it's right. straight, and it's not, right? It's just not. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I'm a scientist by training. I thought if anyone can understand fat, I can. You know, I mean, I, I studied biochemistry. So I, I just started pulling all the scientific literature on fat, everything I could find. I think I read over a thousand articles on fat research, and I wow. spoke to about 50 leading researchers around the globe about this cutting-edge research on fat that they had. And then what I was finding out was just so surprising. Fat is so different than we think it is. It has mm -hmm. all these ways to fight back when you gain it. We have all different ways we get fat. It's not just sloth and gluttony. And I was so fascinated, I thought I have to capture this in a book and I have to write it and share it with people. And The Secret Life of Fat is that book. Right. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So I, I admit I took a ton of notes while reading the book. I, I just felt like there were revelations and news flashes to me, like every third page. So uh, let's start with the one stated in the subtitle that fat is an organ. And uh, yeah. you describe it in numerous places as a dynamic and interactive endocrine organ, a clever endocrine organ that in, uh, with many ways to com communicate. So explain this mind blower to us. Yeah, that is really surprising. We think of fat as simply an excess of calories, a reserve, and we have to get rid of it at all costs. But in tr truth, fat manufactures, it produces hormones and distributes them to our body, and our body depends on these hormones. And that's why when we try to lose fat, it's actually very hard. Fat is endowed with ways to protect itself in a way. So, for example, one hormone that fat makes is called leptin. And leptin, uh, it gets released by fat, travels into our bloodstream, and goes to places like our brain, our muscles, our bones, our reproductive system. It goes all over the place. And leptin has direct effects on our appetite. So when we lose fat, we lose leptin. Right? It makes sense. You have less fat, now you're producing less leptin. But as a result, it sends our appetites through the roof. We get very obsessive about food. Mm -hmm. And it's in a way, it's fat's way. It's designed you know, so that it can come back. It's fighting for its survival, if you will. Um, the other thing that having lower leptin does is it affects metabolism. So our muscles bind with leptin. Our thyroid gland binds with leptin. So when we have less fat, less leptin, our metabolism goes down. Our muscles will actually revert to a more efficient way of uh, utilizing energy. They'll use different po proteins in the pathway. And uh, we, we burn less energy, probably around, um, it's actually like 15% reduction of resting, metabol uh, resting metabolic rate and 25% reduction of energy usage when we're doing exercise. Mm -hmm. So it's quite significant. Mm -hmm. And because of these changes in your metabolism, once you lose weight, you actually have to have fewer calories than someone who's never had to lose weight to get to their weight. So for example, to make that more clear, you know, if someone's 170 pounds and they lose 20 pounds to get to 150 pounds, they'll have to eat about 22% fewer calories than Shoot. someone who's at 150 pounds naturally. They didn't have to diet to get there. They're just, they just always maintain that weight. And the effect can last for years. It's not as something that really scientists are sure ever goes away. So there's a caloric penalty to once you've dieted. You just have to eat a little bit less. So a lot of people find that last fact uh, depressing, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that we have to eat less once we've lost weight. But for me, it was really empowering. So to put a little bit of a positive spin on it, once I, I learned that, it made sense to me about why I had to eat less than other people did to maintain a lower weight. And I'm not chasing siren songs anymore. I'm not looking for that magical diet anymore where you know I can eat all I want and never be hungry and yet maintain a low weight. I know they're not true. 
And so having all this knowledge about fat, and it's really knowledge is power. It's just mm-hmm. helped me navigate my own diet a little bit better, help me make sense of what other advice people are throwing out there. And I can, I can just tweak a diet to fit me rather than just be gullible and feeling like I'm a failure on a diet because I'm not able to maintain a lower weight the way it advertises. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just, you know, encourage people to, to not see this as depressing. Just think of it as empowering. It's knowledge. And now that you know why you might have trouble maintaining a low weight, you know what to do about it. And, uh, you know, so I eat less. It's not a big deal. Uh, not anymore. And I just, you know, I can maintain a lower weight. I know what to do now, which is very empowering. Mm-hmm. So Sylvia, I can't tell you how many times we hear from women on social media or in person who say they took up running or increased their mileage to lose weight, yet they then lament that they often gain weight instead. And you detail reasons for this phenomenon in your book. Can you talk about the main reasons, including the 400 calorie limit that you talk about? Yeah, so what they find is, and I've had the same experience just to start off with that, that I can completely sympathize with women who have that observation and used to really frustrate me. And a couple of reasons for it. I mean, one is the obvious, you're probably gaining some more lean mass, so that's increasing weight a little bit. But the other reason is that women tend to compensate more from exercise compared to men. So when we exercise, especially if it's a hard bout of energy, you know, say like you're burning off 600 calories or so, women tend to, to produce more ghrelin, which is a hunger hormone that's released from your stomach. And they have 33% more ghrelin after a, a tense bout of exercise like that compared to men. And so they're hungry. And even in more observational studies, when they put out a buffet after people have, have gone for a, a strong run like that, women eat more after that. They compensate more. And so, you know, that's something to watch. And the other trick is even after women compensate from, uh, you know, they eat after a workout, even after that, they have 25% more ghrelin compared to men. So they continue to be hungry. They continue to be a little bit less satiated. And so the real key is to exercise moderately, perhaps at first, and even from the, the dieting experts and obesity experts that I speak to, they actually don't recommend exercise right away on a diet. They, they suggest people get strong on their eating regimen first, really get some ingrained habits, and after that, add it in slowly some exercise. Start with walking and hiking, and if you get a really strong spike in hunger, notch it down just a bit, just to make sure, because 80% dieting really is around food. And what you eat, that has like an 80% effect. It's the other 20% where exercise will tilt it over the edge. And so just be careful with the amount. You know, if you feel like you're spiking in hunger and you're overcompensating, notch it down a bit. There's other things you can do too. There's distraction after exercise. Um, You know, watch TV, get on the phone. I've I've talked to people who do that. For me, one trick that I do is I exercise at night because then if I get really hungry, you know, I'm about to go to sleep anyway. I'll just fall asleep and then I won't won't be eating. Um, You know, I've heard people say, well, they can't sleep after they exercise. But I think because I eat a very early dinner around 3.30 or so, um, I'm actually quite tired. And so I I can fall asleep with that about an hour after I exercise and uh, I don't eat. And so you can try that, too. That certainly worked for me. Right. Yeah. Um, throughout the book, you stress how much tougher it is for someone to lose fat or maintain uh, fat loss if their weight has yo-yoed in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, you spell that out in terms of miles run. Uh, a person who has lost weight has to run five miles for every four miles a person who is naturally at that weight does in order to burn as many calories. Yeah. Um, as a mother runner who in high school and college and shortly after college, um, pretty much until I got pregnant with my first child, did a lot of yo-yo dieting. Um, this was kind of uh, astounding. Um, can you explain why this is? 
Yeah, that gets back to our leptin levels again. So, you know, when we, leptin is that hormone produced by fat that controls appetite, it controls metabolism. And so when we lose fat, we lose leptin. And our metabolism is slower after that. And so we actually have to eat less or we can exercise more. You can pick whatever it is, but you need fewer calories after you've lost weight compared to someone who's naturally at that weight to begin with. Hmm. Right. And so, you know, and that's part of it. You just have to get used to it. And, you know, don't think of it as depressing. Don't think of it as unfair, even though it is unfair. You know, just it, okay? <laughs> you know, I know now I know what I have to do. No wonder I've been regaining my weight. No wonder that diet's not working for me. It's because they don't understand the science of fat. And the science of fat is that once you've lost weight, you're at a caloric penalty and it might be permanent. You might have this for a long time. So go ahead and exercise more or reduce your calories, whatever it is, get to that 22% fewer calories than what you, what someone who's naturally at that similar weight has to eat without, you know, someone who hasn't dieted. And um, you will be able to maintain weight. And, you know, just shout out to all women listening is like, you know, don't despair. This is hard, right? The science of fat is hard. And unless you're really educated and knowledgeable, you can really be led astray by all of these promises the dieting industry sends out, which is lose weight quickly, lose 10 pounds a month, you know, eat whole wheat for thinner thighs. There's so many <laughs> slogans out there. Right. And if you're if you're gullible and you're not, you know, educated on fat, it's very easy to fall for them. I used to fall for them, right? Even with all the education I have on science, I would fall for them. It wasn't until I really educated myself on what fat is, how is it working, why is it stubborn, why do I gain it easier, that I can finally navigate. The other important thing to know is that not one diet, there's not one diet that fits everybody. There's very interesting research coming out of Weizmann Institute in Israel where they're they're studying how people react to different foods. And what they find is that some people can eat things like chocolate or ice cream or alcohol and they don't have a blood sugar spike. Their bodies are different. And then there's another group of people, they can just have a small, like a chocolate chip and they get this, this big increase right. in their blood sugar. So we're all very different. And, you know, in fact, I'm, I'm married to someone who can eat pretty much whatever he wants, ice cream every night, and not have any problem with weight. I'm very sensitive to sugar. I cannot even have a spoon of ice cream without gaining at least a fraction of a pound. Hmm. And so we're all really different. And you really have to customize a diet that's going to work for you. So if you find it's not working or you're gaining weight back, it's not the right diet for you. And if you educate yourself on the science of fat, you can customize a diet to work for you, either that diet, you know, that, that you want to be on or just invent your own, which is essentially what I did in, my, in the end. I designed my own diet based on learnings I had from the research. And yeah. so I give some guidelines on that, too, how someone might do that. Yeah, you talk about that. We we're going to talk about that later, but let's jump ahead to that, that um, you um, and it was one of the things I'd heard you uh, interviewed on a show on NPR. And I was fascinated when you talked about the intermittent fasting that you do. And right. I, like, I gotta say, I pretty much got hungry just reading about how little you eat. <laughs> <laughs> well, just uh, to make everyone feel better, I can eat a little bit more than that now, now that I'm <laughs> my target weight. And you know, the other good thing about it is that it's it's only hard in the beginning. And after you're that, your body gets quite used to it. My body, I actually don't even like eating at night anymore. I feel uncomfortable. So I've, I've gotten used to this new way of living. But let me, let me go back and just talk about intermittent <laughs> fasting and so, so intermittent fasting is where you just prolong the overnight fast. And so growth hormone actually peaks at night. And growth hormone is a great fat buster. It's something we have in copious amounts when we're young, and it ebbs as we age. And, you know, especially, you know, in, in the Middle Ages, that's when people tend to get weight because our fat busting hormones like testosterone and growth hormone, they're lower than ever. And we tend to pack more fat. So you can't eat the same meal you ate at, at age 20, right, when you're, when you're middle-aged. Right. 
And so extending that overnight fast is thought to prolong the release of growth hormone. We have it for longer. And in fact, ghrelin, that hunger hormone I talked about, is actually something that also promotes the release of growth hormone. And so, yeah, you might be a little hungry, but you have to know that that is also provoking growth hormone and it's helping you bust some fat. And so if you can, you know, stop eating dinner or, or stop eating rather a little bit, you know, longer, like, so I probably around three, three thirty. I think in, in, when I was really dieting, I wouldn't eat past three, but now I go from three to four and then I eat breakfast a little bit late around 10 o'clock or so. And so, yeah, I get a little hungry into the night, you know, that those, those hours can be, can be tough sometimes, but it's a great fat uh, busting mechanism. The other real benefit I've learned about intermittent fasting is that I don't, I don't have to be so strict during my eating hours. So in that time I'm eating between 10 to 3.30 or whatever it is, I can kind of eat what I want. <laughs> you know, I can have a, a piece of chocolate if I really want it. I don't have to be, you know, like some of these very restrictive diets like ketogenic or zone where it's very, very specific. I can be a little loose. As long as I do that overnight fast, I don't get too much penalty. Um, and there's some foods, you know, just like that research I talked about in Israel, there's some things I can get away with, some things I can't. And what I did ultimately is I had a, a spreadsheet, you know, and again, I'm a, a scientist, so very analytical. And I just wrote down what I ate, what time I ate, you know, the, the kind of co calorie composition of it. And I just started observing, you know, when I could eat. And I noticed when I ratcheted back my time, you know, to like if I ate at six, I wouldn't lose weight. If I ate at four, four eh, I, I wouldn't gain, but I wouldn't lose a lot either. But if I stopped eating at three, magically, I would start losing weight. Huh. So I would just encourage people to do that for yourself. You don't have to be, you know, my on my diet. I have very, very stubborn fat. I've yo-yo dieted my whole life. Um, I think I have genetics working against me. You know, I'm middle aged. That's harder for me. So you might not have to do what I do. Um, probably you don't. And but just you know, keep a log of what you do and when you do it, and you'll start to notice things that help you lose weight and things that have no effect at all. Because I was thinking about that. I mean, if you had young school age kids, I mean, like, you know, let's say you're you had a first and a third grader and, and maybe you do. I don't know the ages of your kids, but that that then they would never see mommy eat like and, <laughs> and, and you know, like, I mean, I am not a person who tests food as I cook it like um, uh, in part because I th I watched my mom doing that as, as I was growing up. And I think that was part of the um, why she had a weight problem um, until I don't know, until she was about 85. Um, she had a lot of excess fat. And um, but so that. Um, but I just like, I think it must be tough to, to cook dinner for the family and be like, okay, here it is. Okay. I'll just sit here and talk with you and, and drink some water. Like, I mean, <laughs> how does that work into like family life? Yeah. Really, my whole family's used to me now. I think at first they were like, oh, my poor mom, she can't eat. And you know, funny enough, that's how I thought of my mom. Cause my mom used to do that. And I thought I'm like, I'm, I feel so sorry for her. Little did I know I was going to have the same fate. <laughs> right. but, you know, so, so like my family at least has gotten used to it. It doesn't even bother me now. I'm not even tempted to eat it anymore. It's become such a habit. And I, I have a whole chapter on willpower and like mm -hmm. making, making, um, you know, actions into habits. So it's not hard. At the same time, there's other ways of doing that in intermittent fast that include eating a little bit later at night. So I know people who, you know, they'll eat at six, they'll eat dinner with their families, but then they'll extend the overnight fast into the daytime. So mm -hmm. sometimes they'll just eat something very light for lunch and dinner is their main meal instead. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you can you can do it however fits for your lifestyle. And that's another important point I bring up in The Secret Life of Fat is that a diet not only has to work biologically to where you're losing weight on the diet, but it has to work for you for your psychology. Right? What foods do you have to have that you know you need to include on diet in order to stay on it? And it has to work for you lifestyle-wise as well. What kind of life do you have? I mean, if you're really busy and you're traveling and you know you cook for a family, then some of these very restrictive diets are going to be really hard to stay on for the long run. 
And finding that diet that works for the long run is critical because, you know, like I talked about, there's a caloric penalty to losing weight. So you'll have to be on this diet for years, not just six months. And then we pop back to our normal life. Mm-hmm. You got to find something that works over, over several years for yourself. So pick one where it does make you lose weight, but it also includes the foods you really need to have in your life. And then third, that it's something that works with the lifestyle you have. And, and that intermittent fasting diet, although it sounds you know odd to people, it works for my life just because I don't like really regimented diets where I'm constantly having to omit you know a hundred different foods from my diet and I can only eat twenty foods that are allowed on it. Right. I just it's never worked for me. And I've, I've been on ketogenic diets; they're effective biologically. They work for me psychologically and socially. They don't work for me, um, but it might work fine for somebody else. Um, what works for me is, is where I get a little bit more latitude on what I eat. Um, it, but, you know, you have to pay the price somewhere. So I just stop eating well before dinner. But I have more latitude during the day. And uh, also just from from doing that regimen for so long, I'm really quite used to it. It doesn't bother me anymore. I'm not even that hungry at night anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've got it to work in the long run. And that, that's what's really important. You don't have to use my diet as, as the one to be on. But find one that works for you that you can stay on. Right. It, it brings to mind um, one of the anecdotes that I really, um, which is fascinated by in The Secret Life of Fat, which was the story of Randy. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, we won't get into the whole part about how his weight gain could, or his fat gain could have been caused by being scratched by that rooster as a child. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> it reaffirms my, my, my extreme dislike of roosters. But, um, but that he talked about how in his um, farm, you know, they lived on a farm with his family and how socially it was very hard for him to... To not really dig in with them at the meals, and you know, I could just see right. these you know platters, you know, heap with heaping piles of food that they probably raised themselves and all that stuff. And for him to be like, no, no, I'm just gonna put a couple peas on my plate and call it good. Yeah, so this is interesting because I do have a whole section of the book where I talk about all the different ways we gain weight, and people always think, well, people are just overeating and they're lazy. That's what why they're, they're gaining weight. And it's true, there are some people that is the reason they're gaining weight. But then even for some people who are eating quite normally, they can be more fat than you think they, they should be on mm-hmm. that diet. And Randy is one of those people. So, you know, the different things that factor in the, the amount of fat we have, it's, um, you know, genetics will factor in, our age and our hormones, our gender will factor in, but so will viruses and bacteria. Mm-hmm. And I do write about one virus that is associated with fatness, and that virus is called AD36. And what researchers find is people who have been infected with this virus, they tend to absorb more glucose out of their blood. They turn that glucose into fat molecules, um, and they create more fat cells. Mm-hmm. So for it's almost like taking you know insulin or some of these diabetic medications. It's like yes, it helps you absorb the sugar, but it's also creating more fat. Mm-hmm. And so you know Randy, he didn't know this, but he had been infected with this virus, and all the while he's just really having trouble managing his weight. Mm-hmm. And uh, he finds that he gains weight really easily. He can't eat like other people without getting fat. And he just doesn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And then finally, he's refer- referred to this educational program at University of Wisconsin. And that's where he meets these researchers who test him for the virus. And he finally finds out he's got this virus. Mm-hmm. And that's where everything starts to make sense to him in his life. He starts to you know, realize he connects it to when he got, he thinks, you know, he got infected from being scratched by that rooster. That was, you know, in his own memory, when, when everything started to happen, he got more hungry. He started getting weight more. Um, but then it also helps them understand what to do. And this mm-hmm. is back to that message of knowledge is power. So, yeah, he can't eat as much as other people. But instead of feeling sorry for himself and instead of, you know, just continuing to eat rampantly, you know, he's, he learns that he has to eat less. And he does. He starts eating less than other people. He starts using a lot of different weight loss tools. He starts exercising more. 
And he gets his weight completely under control. And he's now, I think, around six foot two, around 63. And he's probably not more than 160 pounds. Oh, he's wow. in great shape wow. at oh, this point a, of his life. That's amazing. Oh, because my heart really went out to him. I mean, when he got to like 300 pounds, and I was like, no, Randy, right. no. <laughs> yeah. Stop. One thing he says, which is a great quote, too, is that he says, I'm not part of the eating world. Yeah, but, like, that he realizes really, there's yeah. people right. who can eat, you know, and he'll, he'll, like, just like me, like, people will go and have buffets and eat a lot but randy's very disciplined and i, I loved meeting him because it was someone who was kind of like me in a way who had you, they couldn't eat as much and they just had to really get on a regimen to eat less but like you know people will be eating and feasting he'll bring his boiled eggs or he'll bring his fruit and nuts he's very disciplined and, and his family has adjusted to it as well but you know family support for for any kind of diet or, or lifestyle change you make is really important and oh, yeah you know, like like we, we were talking about my family not eating dinner. And, you know, when my girls were growing up, I didn't do this because I didn't want to send them signals about having to be too worried about food. You know, so I went ahead. I ate dinner back then. And it wasn't until they were a little older and more able to cope with things like that that I started to do this. And so, you know, depending on where you are in your family or what your needs are, you might just want to tailor, you know, a diet to that lifestyle need. Mm -hmm. And like I said, you can go ahead and eat dinner as long as you do something else. You might have to exercise more in that case. You might have to not eat in the beginning of the day. But, but make it work for you. And I do believe if people really understand the science of fat, they can make a diet work for them, either an established diet or customized ones that will work for them, as long as you understand the hormones involved with fat, the different ways we get fat, and why you might have to work harder than someone else to lose that fat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I got to say, in my next life, I want to come back as a research scientist who studies human microbiomes. And so it's fascinated by uh, how much our microbiome affects our weight. And especially this snippet that you write, uh, depending on the type and amount of bacteria we have, we may be absorbing more or fewer calories from our food than those around us. So could you talk a bit about this and how eating certain foods like raw vegetables and other fibrous foods like legumes can have a positive impact on a person's microbiome? We actually have more bacterial cells in our body than we do human cells, which is always very shocking to people. Uh, So naturally, the bacterial cells we have in our body are going to have an influence on our health. And a big population of bacterial cells is in our intestine, our lower intestine. And they have an effect on how how many calories we extract out of our food and our metabolism. So depending on the bacteria you have in your gut, you could be getting more or fewer calories from your food. So for example, if you have a bowl of Cheerios and the label says 100 calories, depending on your bacteria, you could be getting 120 calories out of that bowl of Cheerios or 80 calories. Mm -hmm. Uh, The good news is that your bacteria is not static, it changes. And what they find is that when people eat more fruits and vegetables and less fats and carbohydrates, they have a bacterial profile that's associated with a leaner body type. And people who eat more fats you know, and more carbohydrates, their, their bacteria, the phyla that they have is associated with higher calorie extraction. And so not only when you, when you shift to more fruits and vegetables are you getting fewer calories from your food and more healthy food, you're also tilting your microbiome in your gut to be one that's more associated with leaner body types and less calorie extraction. So in a way, fat loss begets fat loss. Mm -hmm. You're getting fewer calories and you're tilting your microbiome to extract fewer calories out of that food. Mm -hmm. And I know I, I do, I use that knowledge in my own dieting. I've noticed that when I eat you know, salads, really tough fibrous foods, I'm giving my microbiome a run for the money. <laughs> and they can't really extract that many calories out of it, so I'm passing more as waste. And the, the bacteria I'm harboring are tilting into something that's, you know, I guess, a little bit less efficient at getting energy out of the food. And so it really works for me. I can lose weight you know, pretty quickly 
quickly, just having, you know, a giant salad at lunch and making that the mainstay of, of my diet. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's a changeable. And I think that's what people have to know is that you can do things like eat certain prebiotics like bananas, legumes, artichokes, things that also keep your mucus lining in your gut fairly healthy and that they also uh, foster a diverse set of bacteria. And diversity of bacteria is another factor that is associated with leaner body types. And so uh, it is something that we can control. So the, the, the last question on the prebiotics, because I thought about this a lot while I was reading um, that section of the book, that you talked a lot about leeks and onions and um, I was actually making soup, so I was using both of those things. <laughs> and, um, so are we? Sh- do we have to be eating those in artichoke, something like that? Do we have to be eating those raw, or do they still have the same effect when they're cooked? Yeah, I, I believe they have the same effect when they're cooked. I certainly eat them cooked. Um, okay. I eat them raw in salads, so I, I have a mix of, of different things, but I think it could work. And, and really the key is just to eat a nice diversity mm-hmm. of fruits and vegetables, you know, whether cooked or raw. Raw is very good because the fiber is intact and it's still pretty right. tough. And so it will, you know, pass more as weight. It will give your, your microbiome more of a run for the money. So just make sure you get your salads in there too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we like giving things a run for their money. You know, kind of fancy <laughs> profile. So, <laughs> yeah. so uh, thank you so much for talking about the secret life of fat with us, Sylvia. Thank you. It was great to be here. All right. Well, let's wander on over to the Train Like a Mother Club and hear what Dimity has to say. Hello, hello. This is Dimity coming to you with uh, the lovely owl eyes, goggle eyes that um, accompany swimming. If anybody has a solution, I don't care if it's like $80 eye cream or, um, you know, I don't know, bull semen or something like that. I mean, I understand that I'm aging and I understand that, um, you know, I'm, I'm genetically disposed to have big bags under my eyes, but the goggles, holy cow, the goggle lines, they last much longer. And um, anyway, not here about this. Um, we're here to talk about the Train Like a Mother Club, but it's a nice segue because I'm going to read us a little tidbit from the triathlon group. Um, we are very excited because we fielded our half Ironman team. Yay, yay, yay. We have uh, over 20 women signed up for the half Ironman plan. And um, so that's great. And we've got people rolling in on the sprint and Olympic distances. Um, so just to remind you, sprint, we can help you um, for a race, May, June, July, August, um, and maybe even in September. Same with the Olympic distances. And then the half Ironman is going to go a little bit longer. So um, if you have any of those on your plate and you want to join us in the Try Like a Mother Club, it's really quite fun. And you can play along with me because I am I am training for a race at the end of June as well. I'm going to do a half Ironman in Steamboat if all my stars align. Anyway, so that was a really long introduction. But um, this is, comes from Joan. She says, it's a huge victory for my Wednesday. My first two swim workouts in a week in a very long time. And who would have thought it would be a really great workout or that I'd be the fastest person in my lane? Never mind that it was me and one other person. It's a very rare occurrence. I even overcame the struggles with a swim cap that felt too small for my head and the absence of my Garmin. Woohoo! So just a little victory from the train like a mother tried like a mother club. Um, the swimming part, I think, is the hardest, um, even if you're not dealing with, you know, goggle owl eyes. And um, we've got amazing swim uh, workouts in there. Like, honestly, every swim is almost different. And I know because I have 
entered either all of them into a training plan or into training peaks. And uh, so I'm just like, wow, I want to try that. Oh, that sounds fun. So anyway, if you have a triathlon on your mind and you want to train with us, head to trainlikeamother.club. Otherwise, have a great week, whether you're swimming, biking, running, walking, hiking, whatever you're doing, and we will see you next week. Thanks. Bye. All right. Well, remember to tweet at us if uh, whether or not books make you cry. So those Twitter handles are at SBS on the run, at Martini Made, and at The Mother Runner. And while you're tweeting at us, if you would follow us, we'd appreciate it. If you want to keep up with Dimity on Twitter, she is at Dimity on the run. And um, many happy miles to you. Mm-hmm.